0: Story fifteen of Stories Weird and Wonderful. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Yearsley. Stories Weird and Wonderful by J. E. Muddock. Story fifteen: A Night with the Dead in one of the london weeklies there occasionally appears an article from the pen of its gifted and genial editor under the distinctive heading of moi-même which i need scarcely remind my readers is the french term for myself i almost think that moi-même might more appropriately have stood at the head of this paper although it would hardly have been so attractive perhaps as the one i have chosen for what i have to relate is strictly a personal narrative probably it would not be an easy matter to find another man who could say that he had gone through a like experience as that i am about to relate at an age when the young mind is peculiarly susceptible to the influences of terror and suffered no permanent injury from it at the time that the thrilling incident occurred i was a youth of twelve sturdy and active with a spice of that spirit of recklessness in me which is peculiar to youths who are conscious of their strength and fond of adventure i was a student though alas i fear far from studious at one of the pretentious establishments of the time known as collegiate schools for the sons of gentlemen this particular one at which i spent some years of my life was situated in what i shall ever consider one of the most beautiful parts of cheshire and the place was known as bucklow hill then it was a solitude of rural beauty raised to a pitch of feverish excitement twice a day by the arrival and departure of the stagecoach. but at all other times a dreamy indolence seemed to hang about it and its silence was only broken by the voices of nature or the whistling ploughboy as he lazily followed his team the hostelry was a relic of a far-off time its massive signboard that creaked in the wind had seen several generations of men out the heavily laden wains coming down from knutsford or northwich stopped before its doors and the great horses blinked in the sun and emptied their nosebags while the wagoners drank their yell inside seemingly oblivious of time or if they remembered it it must have been with the contemptuous thought that time was made for slaves not for jolly wagoners bucklow hill was indeed a peaceful spot there the people led healthy monotonous lives and only died from extreme old age the nearest railway station was eight miles off and the squire was lord of all Two and a half miles away was the beautiful and romantic village of Rosthurn with its ancient Norman church where we sons of gentlemen were privileged to worship twice every sunday england which is rich in beauty spots could not at that time show many prettier gem-like places than rosthern it will be observed that i speak in the past tense for the goths and vandals have since vulgarized it and destroyed its charm of antiquity any one standing in boden old churchyard which is some twelve miles to the south of manchester and gazing south on a clear bright day may behold a landscape that for colouring diversity extent and richness is unique at the time that i am dealing with one of the features of this splendid picture was the square tower of rothern church as it peeped up over its embosoming trees rothern is four miles away as the crow flies and between it and bowden is a valley stretching right and left for many many miles so that the spectator on the rising ground of bowden church and where the depression precipitately commences commands a bird's-eye view of the scene and that norman tower was so conspicuous that it could not be overlooked Footnote: the beauty of this view has been much destroyed of late years by new buildings and railways and the feature which lent so much picturesqueness the tower of sweet rossern church no longer exists for some iconoclastic goth who i know not penetrated even into this delightful sleepy hollow and with ruthless and pitiless hand he tore from the tower its rich covering of ivy the growth of centuries, then he levelled the tower, like a barbarian worthy of the close of the nineteenth century, and in its place reared a lofty and vulgar spire. Surely the ancient dead who sleep in the picturesque churchyard must have turned in their graves at this act of vandalism. End footnote rossern church stands on the crest of a rounded hill that falls steeply on the north to the shores of an exquisite mere which fills up a large natural hollow and lends an additional charm to the beauty of the scene in my day the village of rossern was a singularly primitive place and the villagers were as rustic as villagers well could be the churchyard was walled round by an irregular wall to which clung the mould of the centuries And tall trees kept watch and ward over the quiet dead entrance was gained through an ancient porch the gate of which swung backwards and forwards by means of a ponderous wooden ball attached to a rope passing through this primitive gateway you were in god's acre where there were to be seen tombstones hundreds of years old the church which was small was built north and south and in the ivy covered tower hung a peal of sweet bells which when rung by the ringers could be heard for many miles around for hundreds of years rostherne church has been the burial-place of the Edgerton's of tatton and in the church itself is a monument in pure white marble that was raised to perpetuate the memory of a miss Edgerton who died young the figure which is life-size represents the lady lying on a cushion and is one of the most exquisite things of the kind to be found in the country beneath this monument is the vault where sleep generations and generations of egertons entrance to this vault is gained from the outside and it is necessary that i should give some particulars about it near the east end of the church and on the southern side is a ponderous slab of stone and this has to be raised when there is a tenant ready for the vault Then is revealed a flight of steps, after the earth has been cleared out, and the steps go down to a massive iron door. The door being opened, the chamber of death is disclosed. It is a large vaulted chamber with a brick floor, and around on shelves repose the mighty sleepers. Going back now, as I do, into the misty past, I come to a day when the iron door of this great vault stands open for in tatton hall a dead egerton lies ready to be carried to his eternal rest amongst his ancestors the death chamber has been well ventilated by the door being allowed to remain open for hours and the floor has been swept and garnished it is a brilliant day and the muffled tolling of the great bell seems out of place in a scene so fair where winged things dance in the sunlight and the hues of a thousand different flowers Blend with the vivid greens Of grass and trees. The air itself is heavy With the perfume of flowers, From which comes The drowsy hum of bees. The air seems to shiver Every time the bell, With sonorous boom, Groans out its message of death. From that collegiate school Of which I have spoken, A number of light-hearted, Happy youths, I being one of them, Have been marched, dressed in solemn black and wearing black gloves and in the church now full of rich golden light they wait for the coming of the cortege which is to bring the dead man to his ancestors those youths understanding not the import and great solemnity of death look out of place and feel out of place when all around is so bright and joyous while the glittering lake below and the rich lush meadows about seemed to invite them to sport but a great man was dead and it was meet that though the sun and the flowers and the trees and the birds and bees and butterflies could not be put into mourning that these youngsters should assume a sorrow that they possessed not presently the funeral procession approaches the church is filled now and a strange and impressive hush falls upon the congregation as sixteen men stagger up the aisle with their tremendous burden for a dead Edgerton is always encased in lead and elm and oak with moving solemnity the beautiful service for the dead is recited and the music of scores of youthful voices swell and fade with the swelling and fading of the organ this part of the service is long and, owing to considerable delay in the arrival of the cortege, the day is already waning. At last the new tenant is borne down into the vault, which is illuminated for the nonce by candles held against the walls by lumps of clay, and, when he has been duly deposited upon his shelf, the spectators are allowed to go down in little batches to look into that receptacle of dead humanity, which, presently, will be hermetically sealed up, and only opened again when another egerton is ready for one of the remaining niches we youngsters from the school have been promised as a treat that we shall be allowed to go down into the vault but there are hundreds to whom we nonentities have to give precedence there are the members of the family then the servants next the tenants followed by the villagers and the country folk who had poured in from all parts for the attraction of seeing the inside of a vault as these good cheshire people call it was irresistible consequently we dispersed ourselves about the meadows and the woods and shores of the lake we received orders to be back again in the churchyard in an hour and a half punctually i formed one of a merry little clique of bounding youngsters who being thus released from the gives of a pained restraint that had lasted for hours rushed with the thoughtlessness of youth into the woods and awakened the echoes with shouts and laughter some funeral meats had been given to us on leaving the house in the shape of a package of sandwiches i e some chunks of bread and wedges of meat and a bun each a wonderful bun that bun haunts me still i have some sort of a notion that it was made of sawdust and treacle and encased in pieces of chamois leather but how we tucked into that luncheon and how we relished those buns that they did digest is proved by the fact that i still live to write this record my clique numbered some seven or eight we were genial spirits but we were accounted wild young rascals and evil examples to the other scholars and often was it predicted that we should come to a bad end so far as i know however not one of that clique ended his days on the scaffold and i think one or two of them if not more rose to eminence still there is no doubt that we had a touch of the demon in us and like colts once let loose there was some difficulty in catching us again free as the wind we wandered all unmindful of the flight of time and instead of returning in an hour and a half it was nearer four hours when we got back to the church which was quite empty and on one of the seats in the deep porch the ancient sexton slept the sleep of the just after his hard day's work that antiquated man did not particularly love us and was in the habit of referring to us sons of gentlemen as the vagabondest rafenians as iver of talon. that dear old dead-and-gone sexton spoke a language of his own and at times the pranks we played upon him put him into such a fever heat that he was unable to speak any language at all he could only growl and fume like some savage toothless old lion of the jungle for the time being we decided to leave his slumbers undisturbed for the day was waning fast and we were anxious to go down into the vault not a living soul was in the churchyard but ourselves our schoolmates had long since returned the villagers had gone back to their homes save such of them who lingered in the village public in order that they might drown their sorrows in yell we alone were the truants somewhat gingerly we crept down into that place of the dead for me i must confess it had a sort of fascination and i gazed about me in awe and wonderment half a dozen candles were still burning in their clay sconces and one or two had been recently renewed the polished shining coffin of the newcomer contrasted strikingly and strangely with the others which appeared in every stage of decay footnote if my memory serves me rightly the vault had not been opened for thirty years previous to this End footnote. there were some that were simply heaps of dust from which bones projected others were falling to pieces and the sides seemed to be bursting open others again though covered with dirt and mildew were whole in one corner i noted a heap of debris of coffins and remains and i take it that this heap represented the mouldering relics of a very far-off race that had been swept off the shelves to make room for later comers we did not linger very long in the charnel-house and were glad to get into the open air again then as we remembered the dear old sexton sleeping so quietly in the porch the spirit of mischief entered into us we were already in disgrace for not having returned at the proper time and so we thought we might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb besides the temptation to revenge ourselves on the sexton for dubbing us vagabondist was too strong to be resisted by such ardent young spirits and so we consulted together as to what form our revenge should take at the foot of the tower was a large chamber used as the receptacle for all sorts of lumber such as grave planks ropes beers matlocks spades and so on and we decided to search in this musty region for some pieces of cord wherewith to bind the somnolent sexton to the seat no sooner was the decision arrived at than off we scampered now was it a mere chance or the fiend himself that caused a pot of green paint to be left standing on the ground in one corner and lying across the pot were a big brush and a little brush it must have been the arch tempter of humanity that had put these things there because a pot of green paint with two brushes were quite too strong a temptation for any mere mortal youths to resist when within a few yards slept on a wooden bench a sexton whose head was as bald and shiny as a billiard ball oh gemini exclaimed a youth in the exuberance of his joy here's a paint-pot let us go and paint old our men's skull i should remark that we irreverently dubbed this ancient sexton amen owing to a peculiarity he had of uttering the word in the responses his voice was wheezy and cracked and he used to dwell long upon the "Ah," sounding it like an r and then dragging out the men until at last he ended it in his nose with a snort we voted the suggestion worthy of the genius who made it but now came the question who was to do the desperate deed a sleeping sexton may not be any more dangerous than a sleeping lion unless you try to singe his beard but then look out for squalls as a volunteer for the work did not readily declare himself let me say with the meekest of humility that i undertook the task seizing the pot and small brush i went boldly forth followed by my giggling companions stealthily i crept into the porch while they formed a little crowd about the entrance dipping the brush in the paint i drew a broad band across that oval and shining skull but the contact of the brush caused the owner of the skull to awaken with the first move my companions bolted and the paint-pot falling from my hand overturned on the floor What followed is like a dream still to me. In a sort of haze, I see that fossil-like man with the painted skull make a desperate lunge at me, and then I've a notion that, slipping on the greasy, unctuous paint that covered the floor, he went down with a crash and a yell. With one bound I got outside, but where to run to I knew not, until it flashed through my brain that the vault would afford me splendid shelter, until the sexton's wrath had expended itself down the steps i scuttered and certainly at that moment the dead had less terror for me than the living as i stood there with fluttering heart and panting breath i thought i heard the old man's footsteps on the gravel above and in my distress and with that thoughtlessness peculiar to boyhood i pushed the ponderous iron door behind which i was standing when to my horror it swung on its well-oiled hinges closed with a solid bang, and I was a prisoner in the tomb. For some moments I was like one petrified, and I thought that from those ghastly relics on the shelves came mocking peals of laughter. In a few minutes I had recovered my presence of mind, and then frantically I tried to open the door, but to have set myself the task of lifting from the shelf the newly-arrived tenant, encased as he was in lead and oak and elm, would not have been more impossible of accomplishment than to open that iron door from the inside my recollection is that it was a perfectly smooth plate without chink ridge boss or angle of any kind and it fitted into its iron framework like a carpenter's dovetail i was too surely a prisoner with the dead and unless released from the outside my bones would moulder with those of the egertons in my terror i shouted but my voice came back to me in a hundred echoes until i was sure the dead Edgertons were laughing in their coffins and my tongue refused utterance more my flesh crept my blood turned to ice and cold clammy drops of perspiration rolled down my face and neck i have spoken of the candles which were stuck against the wall by means of balls of plastic clay i think there were five of these candles two being over the new coffin these had not been long burning two-thirds of their length at least remaining another in an opposite corner had burnt down to about an inch another was more than half burned through and a fifth was just expiring the snuff hanging down on the clay It is evidence of my presence of mind not having deserted me, that I was able to note these details, and even do something more than note them. To be imprisoned in the charnel-house was horrible, but to be there in the darkness was still more horrible, and it must have struck me in this way, because with the courage of desperation I took down and put out every candle but one, so as to economize them when that one was nearly burnt out i should be able to light another piece and so keep a light for a long time the feeble rays of this common dip did little more than reveal the darkness and with a sense of awful terror i crouched down on the floor close to the iron door clutching with nervous energy my precious morsels of candles i heard my own heart beating and i strained my ears to try and catch the sounds of footsteps on the outside but never a sound came to me how could it through such a mass of iron i closed my eyes but when i did that my imagination led me to picture the dead egertons in the mouldering coffins stretching forth their skeleton hands to clutch me so i opened them again For a few moments they rested on that flickering dip which certainly did seem to me to burn blue and then they wandered nervously from shelf to shelf until from the gloom they evolved sheeted skeletons rising up and grinning at me and i closed them again to shut out the horrid sight over and over again this opening and shutting of the eyes was repeated always with the same sensations and as my nervousness increased and my imagination grew by what it fed upon i felt certain that i saw things moving and heard strange sounds the horror of the situation i do not think it would be possible to over by any word-painting however expressive it might be in that wonderful collection of works by a mad genius the wirz gallery at brussels there is one picture which as an artistic representation of unutterable horror is probably without a parallel in the world it represents an old woman in grave cerements bursting from a coffin in which she has been encased while in a trance she has awakened in the coffin and in her awful fear has splintered the head part of the lid and through the aperture has forced her head and shoulders the jagged edges of the wood have torn strips of flesh from her body and she is covered with blood but oh the pitiful horror of the face the eyes are bulged out of the head the greenish-white face is convulsed with a grin of madness the blue lips are drawn apart and the tongue is lolling out while the hair literally stands on end the canvas is so arranged that a faint green light falls upon it and you look at it through a small magnifying glass every detail is thus brought out and the arrangement of the light is such that it heightens the startling ghastliness of the subject some years ago when i saw this picture for the first time i felt that here depicted on canvas was a pictorial representation of the horror i experienced on the terrible night that i passed with the dead in the Edgerton's tomb let it be remembered that i was but twelve years of age with far more imaginative than reasoning power for few boys at that age except the prodigies who never live long do reason and it is a fact not without some psychological value that the new coffin did not inspire me with any fear perhaps in some vague and undefined way i had a notion that the new lead and elm and oak were sufficient to prevent the ghost of that dead man coming forth but the rent coffins and the heaps of debris those were what fascinated me with a stony fear and i watched them and watched and watched until my strained eyes ached and still i watched how long may be judged by the fact that i suddenly noticed that the candle had all but burnt down to the clay and with a cry i am sure i cried out i sprang from my cramped position lighted another candle and got back again to the door presently i will not undertake to say how long it was after i had put up the fresh candle for the half-paralyzed brain in such cases is incapable of measuring time i saw from the heap of debris in the corner a skull roll out on to the floor and grin at me with its chapless face then some minutes later various bones came out of the heap and attaching themselves to the skull and to each other in anatomical order they made a perfect skeleton that gradually rose up and performed a danse macabre i tried to avert my gaze from this awful sight but could not my eyes were riveted there with an appalling fascination i heard the rattling of the skeleton's bones and the clicking of its jaw as it worked it about with an idiotic grin and soon i heard something move there was a terrible banging and crashing and with a glance i saw that the various old coffins on the shelves had burst open and there fleshless occupants were sitting up rattling their jaws and soaring the air with their skeleton arms then suddenly and as if by some signal they all sprang to the ground There were a couple of dozen of them at least, and amongst them, strangely enough, was one clad in complete armor. Where he came from I do not know, as I had not noticed him amongst those on the shelves. He wore a helmet, and his visor was down, while in his bony hand he grasped a cross-handled sword. This extraordinary apparition seemed to inspire me with additional terror, for by some instinct I knew that he meant me harm. The others all crowded round him, as if to prevent him getting near me, and he moved backwards and forwards, making feints and dodges to escape them, and suddenly he did manage to elude their vigilance, and raising his ponderous sword with both hands, he was about to aim a terrific blow at me, when suddenly between me and him there stood a radiant figure. It was a figure of pure white marble, and yet it moved— waving a white arm it warned him off and he cowered back into a corner and then it fixed its pitying and pensive eyes on me it was the beautiful effigy from the monument in the church above that effigy upon which i had so often gazed with lingering and loving admiration and many and many a time during the sunday services i had like One in a waking dream, Given that marble lady, Colour and warmth and life. And often, as I did so, A dumb voice within me said, How beautiful you are, And being so beautiful, How good you must have been, And being so beautiful and so good, You could only have died so young, Because God was short of an angel For his choir. That was ever my unuttered thought, for the magnificent marble effigy was to me a poem and i loved it and now in this awful moment when the wrathful knight in armor would have slain me that sweet lady had come to save me from his fury once more she waved her fair round arm and all those gruesome skeletons went back to their coffins and she gradually faded away until she appeared as a rosy star that continued to hover over me for a long time until oh joy the ponderous door swung open and one of the grave-diggers a man well known to me entered at first he staggered and was startled on beholding me but recognizing me he seized me in his brawny arms and rushed up the stairs it was a glorious morning the sun was rising birds were singing in every tree, the night had passed, and for many hours I had been entombed with the dead. Had I really seen what I have related, or did I dream it? Whichever it was, I had spent such a night of terror that the wonder is I lived through it. It remains for me to tell, as I subsequently learned, that the sexton, having exhausted himself with a fruitless chase, had descended the steps of the vault to close the door for the night but finding it closed he concluded that one of the grave-diggers had been there before him at six o'clock in the morning the grave-digger had entered the vault to see that nothing had been left in preparatory to its being hermetically sealed up and so he had discovered me i was lying stretched on the floor grasping the pieces of candle in my hand my companions having missed me on the previous evening concluded i had hurried back to the school and so they went home also my non-arrival within a reasonable time caused some consternation i say some because on one or two previous occasions i had absented myself all night and had gone to some friends of my family who resided in bowden to these friends a messenger was dispatched the first thing in the morning but before he returned i put in an appearance and the narration of what i had gone through saved me from the punishment which otherwise would have been meted out on the following sunday as i filed into the church with my schoolmates i caught sight of the old sexton and i noted that on his polished cranium there were still traces of the green band i had painted there and which had caused me to pass that terrible night with the dead the memory of which will never leave me Until memory itself is no more. End of story fifteen.